While I was driving over to the Winchester today, I was taking a different car, and the car I was taking doesn't accept my phone auxiliary cords, so I couldn't listen to the song we're doing today while we're, I was driving over. But I thought since it's Christmas time, I could just turn on any radio station and get this song. But instead, I just kept getting really, really bad Christmas music. And it was so depressing that the song we're doing today just wasn't immediately available. Instead, it was just awful covers of mediocre Christmas songs. Were you listening to Christmas Shoes again? <laughs> no, no, no. I would turn the station. <laughs> Good. Well, this Christmas, we're going to put an exclamation point on your holidays. Say wow! Welcome to Dill and Frank and Dave's Guilt-Free Pleasures today. We have Dave Kitchen back as our special guest, a yep. very special guest for our holiday special. Yeah, third time's a charm. Hopefully you actually uh, pull through this time and uh, we don't have to drag you along like uh, like the other two podcasts. I felt like I had that great opener. I feel like I could just cruise on for the rest of the show well, now. Yeah. <laughs> we will be doing Last Christmas by Wham! All right, well, let's begin by talking about the history of the song. The history of the song, history of the band, or how the song came about? Because uh, there's a really interesting story how uh, how George Michael uh, wrote it. From what I understand, he thought of the words and then put them down on paper. As always, incredible research, Frank. <laughs> well, I was, uh, I was reading into it, and I know I'm stepping on one of your categories later, but... Uh... It was a it was a return to to his house. He Andrew Ridgely and George Michael went back to George Michael's family, his childhood home, and they were visiting. And for whatever reason, George Michael went upstairs. He kind of disappeared for about an hour. He said, and when he came down, he called Andrew Ridgely up and had the song basically uh, written out in about an hour's time. So I guess we usually start with a history, and we, this is history, but we might as well jump into the category. Dave, could you tell us what that category is? This is the ultimate. It's the song that is a Hallmark movie, because I've and, and not me, but other people that I know have seen Hallmark movies with their wives. And yeah, um, well, yeah, your friend David Stitchin. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah. But the premise is always the same. It's always some big, cynical, hotshot, big city person, CEO or somebody like that. And then for whatever reason, they have to go back to their small hometown and they get there and they're disgruntled and they hate every minute of it. But while they're there, they run into an old friend, usually somebody that they, they usually somebody that they might have had a bit of interest in, but it never really developed or something like that. And that person never left. And through a series of misadventures, they end up spending some time together. And then that big shot CEO realizes that everything they needed was in that small town the entire time. And so here we have George Michael who goes home and then while there and experiencing his childhood home and this big city London guy who's already had make it big released that year, he, re he released, he writes and releases this song and it's massive. And so he learned everything he needed was in his childhood home. Yeah. We would like to point out that we have a copy of Wham's, sorry, Wham! Make it big here in the Winchester just for a vinyl a vinyl copy yeah to set the set the vibe in here I also want to point out that Bill uh, spent probably the first hour and a half that he was here setting up lights uh, and 
putting up Christmas decorations to put us in the Christmas mood. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's done its job. I'm feeling joyous, jolly, Mo- Christmas moody, Christmas moody. Excellent. I I did this because I read about what George Michael did when he recorded the song. So he set up the studio. They recorded this in August of 84. So this is a few months after visiting his childhood home and writing the bare bones of this song. Then they went to studio. Well, he went to studio. Mm -hmm. And he had two assistants. And then I believe it was Chris Porter, the engineer. And they decorated the entire studio with Christmas lights and Christmas theme stuff, bulbs and all that stuff, and then recorded it. So that's what we're doing here. But yeah. unlike George Michael, I'm not kicking everyone else out of the room and doing this whole thing by myself. Yeah. <laughs> Reading Wikipedia here, which is the high watermark of, of research, George Michael recorded every single note himself uh, for the yes. song using a, a drum machine, a synth. So we're not getting that one wrong today, folks. We actually know that it was a, a Roland Juno 60 synth and sleigh bells. Only three instruments on this thing, yep. and and George Michael's uh, voice. Yeah, so drum machine, synth, and bells. Yep. And of course, George Michael being the big instrument, I guess, the fourth. Yeah. So I got a quote here from Chris Porter. He says, George wasn't a musician. He had no training in instruments at all. He nevertheless insisted on doing everything himself. It was a laborious process because he was literally playing keyboards with two or three fingers. So everything you're hearing is George Michael, who's not trained in in any sort of key stuff, just hitting with two or three fingers. But it works. And this is the other thing about these songs that we're choosing is they somehow work, even though they get maligned. And this got maligned a lot in the press. Yeah. Which leads to why I want to make sure we say why this is a guilt-free pleasure. It's because it was they were hated by like mainstream press in the 80s. They talked about this song just being a cash grab. Mm-hmm. And they used a whole lot of other adjectives to um, besmirch this fantastic piece of music. But talking about the cash grab that this song was... Wham! They donated all of their uh, all the proceeds from this song to charity. Yeah, which is uh, and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later. But uh, you know, if it's going to be a cash grab, it's a cash grab for a great cause at the very least, right? So how can you how can you malign uh, the band for that? Well, we won't malign. No, 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 not at all. But you know, the bigwigs at the record organizations and whatnot. Chewing on their big cigars, <laughs> besmirching Wham. Yeah. How dare they? We will not besmirch Wham here. This song came out in around the same time as, oh, what was a uh, Band-Aid, the uh, Do They Know It's Christmas Time, which I'm not going to get into too much, but not a huge, huge fan of that song myself. I am. Yeah, of course you are. Uh, <laughs> but um, Last Christmas never made it to number one in the UK because Band-Aid was the big Christmas song at, at the time when it, when it was released. Um, and George Michael was, was part of Band-Aid as well, but... Um, yeah, so so these two conflicting Christmas songs, and one was made specifically for 
raising funds for um, uh, Ethiopia. But wham, they they took their their proceeds and also gave all of them to to Africa. And I'm not saying that wham is better than Band Aid, but uh, I think doing that without like the pretension of it's like we're making this song to raise funds. But actually making a song and then just giving the funds away, I think that was, uh, I think that's a stand-up move by by the boys. Two charitable acts. First, they gave us last Christmas, and then they gave Africa the money. Thanks for thanks for saving my uh, ramble there. I appreciate <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> I uh, I hate to question your police work there, Lou, but uh, the, <laughs> the 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 song did go to number one. Did it? In the UK? In the UK, but not in 1984. Oh. You want to guess what year without looking at Wikipedia? Uh, 2084. No. <laughs> 2021. I, the first week of this year, yeah. it went through some revival, and I'm not exactly sure why, but it sold 40,000 streams, and it or it was streamed 40,000 times and was requested on radio or whatever. And so it, it went to number one, and it also set a record for the longest distance between its release and achieving number one. Okay. But it was, uh, and then it shares it shares a stat because it was the highest before it went to number one in January. It was the highest ranked song at number two without going to number one. Uh, with uh, or it was up against "Moves Like Jagger" by um, by, uh, uh, by Maroon, Maroon 5. Five. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, those two songs were uh, were number two for weeks and weeks and weeks, but never achieved number never one number one. Yeah. Oh yeah. wow. Well, thank you to our resident statistician here. It's just deeper down the Wikipedia page, oh, Frank. Right, you never yeah. got there. That's all. <laughs> I just I just right. scanned the. Titles. You got to open those. You got to open those uh, those bolded parts. They have some right. things yeah. underneath. It, it just seems like a lot of work. I just I talk on how I feel. Uh, okay, I I got to bring this up. I don't want to be unkind. What did Andrew Ridgely do in Wham? I know in the video he waved amazingly. Because <laughs> he didn't play anything on the song. He didn't write the song. Mm-hmm. And I've watched some of the videos. I don't know if his, I don't think his guitar is plugged in. So I think he's sort of like, he's an inspiration. He's support act, kind of like support, like really emotional support. And he did some noodling on the guitar, it sounds like, for Careless Whisper when he was 17. And it kind of turned into something. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he played on any of the albums i don't i mean maybe he did well let's we got the vinyl no here. we have the album here and you know, george michael wrote every song on this he produced wrote and arranged every song except careless whisper which he did with andrew ridgely and from what i gather with careless whisper this will come of course when we do careless whisper yeah. so but it, it's According to Andrew Ridgely, he had some part that set ended up becoming the sax solo or that 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 sound that he that he used on the guitar. But from a lot of other stories in the media, George Michael put his name down as sort of a gift that he that he knew it would be big, put in Andrew Ridgely's name. Yeah. And that like that basically set his career. I mean, he could you could just live off those profits. Yeah. Even yeah. though the song was released as a George Michael solo. Mm-hmm. But um, but Andrew Ridgely in his autobiography which is what i've been trying to go through this week <laughs> i didn't buy it because it wasn't at the li- it wasn't at the library and i didn't have time but he talked about his life with george and so oh, okay he talked about this as well i don't think andrew ridgely did much but 
but I think he knows that he didn't do much. Like, yeah. no animosity. It's not like a Simon yeah. and Garfunkel where they're fighting yeah. over yep. equal billing. He knows that he was the smaller part. Right. And um, is very gracious towards uh, George Michael, even yeah. now when he talks about him. Yeah. Just recognizes the talent that he had. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I got to be honest, in, in researching for this, I didn't realize what a force. Like, I thought George Michael was just another pop guy who maybe got his songs you know, I don't know how they work it, but like you know how they're writers for songs. Yeah, right. You just crank out by this song machine, and yeah, but no, he's he's the driving force behind it all. Yeah, so uh, I guess we give credit to George Michael for being a musical genius, and we give Andrew Ridgely credit for being a good friend and a humble man. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. we're all about that here at Guilfrey Pleasures: mm-hmm. musical geniuses and humble people. Yeah, can we take a second to talk about what a 1984 Wham had though? Yes. This is an incredible year mm-hmm. for them because uh, Make It Big comes out and that's the album with Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. And it's actually Go-Go on the album. I thought it was just Wake Me Up Before You Go and then in the song he says Go-Go. But it's that's the title of the song and then Careless Whisper and then Freedom too, which was another hit that they had. But these are massive, massive songs. And then Last Christmas that endures as well. So it's one of those years where um, a, a band just clicks and wake me up before you go go to me is one of those when you look up pop music in the dictionary and you know beat it from michael jackson will be there um you know like a virgin by madonna would be there and and this uh wake me up before you go go would be there too and so 1984 is also madonna like a virgin so those were the two big pop albums and then you had more on the rock side you had uh, bruce springsteen's born in the usa but those are the those two albums were kind of definitive pop albums, and then Thriller was the year before, so yeah. it's kind of right in that core time of pop music. What a year! Yeah, yeah. Van Halen released an album. Can't remember the name of it, but it was it came out that year too. <laughs> in nineteen eighty, it came out in nineteen eighty four. Yeah, yeah oh, I'll geez. look it up. Yeah, we'll go through Wikipedia. <laughs> All right, well, we got to talk about this song. So back to the equation, Frank, your equation, music plus lyrics equals song. Yeah. I think we can talk about both of these things. Like, the what's the most memorable part of the music? I think Kitsch has something right away to, to lay down here. The synth is incredible on this song. And it starts with a guitar, and the synth doesn't come in later. But when it does that thing where it jumps an octave and it goes like, do, 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 do. Do, 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 and it jumps up like that. It yep. is so 80s. It's it's so good. Yeah. That's what makes the song so memorable and, and is what I want to come back to. I mean, there's so many great parts about it, but that is, that's the, what do we call it here? The hook? The hook? Sure. I don't know. what is yep. it in the pocket? It's in the pocket. All right. It, it's, it's, it's the pocket hook. Okay. <laughs> Like when you walk by a doorknob and it catches on your yeah, pocket. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, it catches you. Exactly. That's <laughs> yeah. why it's 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 catchy. It's ca- Oh, there it is. Okay, yeah. now that all, oh, I all get it now. these metaphors yeah. all make sense. Yeah, it's all about getting clothes hooked on doorknobs. That's all music is. I'm going to write another equation. Should we call it the doorknob? The door... No, come on, kids. No? That's all right. Don't be... There goes visit number four. <laughs> don't, Never mind. don't be ridiculous. <laughs> Thank you. 
All right. Uh, lyrics. There's so much to go through in this song. There's so much I want to talk about. Yeah. Um, full disclosure, I'm uh, reading the lyrics now. Okay. I know the lyrics and I sing them along, but I don't really pay attention to them. But uh, there's a there's a darkness about this song. Oh, yeah. Like, it's it's really sort of... it's it, The the music is poppy and catchy and everything, but uh, the lyrics are not, uh, not happy. He's got a broken heart, Frank. He gave his love to somebody and they gave it back. It's Christmas time. I thought, I don't know. You're supposed to be happy at Christmas or... Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I got to agree with Frank. I don't like where Michael or George Michael is in this song. I don't feel like he's ready and he's where he thinks he is because there's a stanza where he says, ooh, ooh, now I found <laughs> a real love. Uh, you'll never fool me again. So if he's found a real love, why... I mean, if it's true love, why is he still hanging on to all this stuff, this resentment? In the previous stanza, he says, I'm hiding from you and your soul of ice. Yeah. And I've always, Mm. you know, when you leave a relationship and then you find out that your past partner has a soul of ice, wouldn't you be relieved? Yeah. Right? Why are you still hanging on to this stuff? You just say, I got away from it and it's somebody else's problem or it's that person's problem, but he's still haunted by this stuff. So I don't think... He has found somebody new. I think he's still harboring a ton of resentment and he's not ready to move on. So I, I guess back to both your points, this is the thing that makes Wham what it is. It's it's a celebration of youth. And so their lyrics are, I guess, I think most music that I love that would come into the guilt-free pleasure verse is all stuff that a teenager might express. The sort of like hyperbole of emotion and where they're at so in this song this sounds like what a 17 year old would be singing about about lost love and yeah. careless and souls whisper of ice. is simply yeah, a soul of ice it's like wow i love how he writes these lyrics though that's back to the soul of ice thing where he says a crowded room friends with tired eyes i'm hiding from you and your soul of ice my god i thought you were someone to rely on me <laughs> i guess i was a shoulder to cry on that's a pretty it's a pretty great line yeah yeah, yeah. It's actually very narrative in his heartbreak. Yeah. Like this whole yeah, yeah. story or yeah. this whole song tells a story and every, every, I mean, there are some repeating stanzas, but there's way more lyrics here than a pop song should have about so, such a simple topic. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, like a, a frame of consciousness, like that, that narrative that goes through with it. Right. Mm. But, uh, but that brings me to probably my favorite part, not necessarily lyrically or, or anything, but musically in the way he sings it is uh, the uh, me, I guess I was a shoulder to cry on. A face of a lover with a fire in his heart. A man undercover, but then he hits it with like, but you tore me apart. Like he hits that real hard. And it's just, it, it, it's a kind of a, a defining moment in, in the song, I find. And afterwards he says, I found a real love. Kitchy brought that up. Yeah. I'm like, what, where did that come from? Because everywhere else in the song, he keeps saying, this year I'll find someone else. I'll give it to someone special. It's like, I don't believe you found anyone. And now he's saying, I found a real love. I'm not, I think he's lying to himself. A face on a lover with a fire in his 
what he means by a man undercover, but you tore me apart. What? He's not under. He's the worst undercover cop ever <laughs> yeah. because he's not hiding the no. fact that he's he's in love with this girl. He sent her a message. Merry Christmas. Remember that line? Yeah, yeah. I sent you a message. Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah, he's just like openly whinging about this woman that's <laughs> destroyed him. Yeah, I'm, and I'm going to go back. I, I can't. I love these lyrics and I also love how crazy it kind of is. So that first verse, I sometimes try to catch myself from reading the whole song aloud, but I'm sorry. <laughs> Here we go. Once bitten and twice shy, I keep my distance, but you still catch my eye. Tell me, baby, do you recognize me? <laughs> Well, it's been a year. It doesn't surprise me. So so she doesn't even recognize him, right? He's like, last year I sent you a, you know, Merry Christmas. I sent you a note that said, Merry Christmas. I wrapped it up and sent it with a note saying, I love you. And I meant it. It's like, oh, is that what you did? Like, were you guys, did, did you just send someone a note and that's it? Okay, I'm working on a new theory here that I'm formulating as I'm saying these words, so you know that it's uh, pretty airtight. Maybe she has amnesia. <laughs> well, this leads to, I, I'm jumping all over the place, but we got to talk about that movie last Christmas because I just watched a bunch of YouTube clips of it. And I don't want to give any spoilers away here because, Kitch, you've seen it, right? I have uh, seen it. Okay, so it it's a bit on the nose for what it's about so i'm just not gonna say any spoilers but the line last christmas i gave you my heart is like a big part of the song and to me it would, that movie would almost be i mean your idea of her having amnesia would also fit she has where a it's heart like, transplant she has a heart transplant right does she have a heart transplant i'm not talking i'm not i'm not saying it i want to spoil it kitch is giving me the yes eyes so. oh my goodness you guys are ruining movies for people i can't find it on a streaming service that's why i didn't rent it it's out there because that's how I saw it. I think it, it's directed by Paul Feig, who did the female Ghostbusters. Written and, by Emma Thompson, because George Michael said he wouldn't let it be written unless it was written by Emma Thompson. Yeah. So. And then she ended up acting in it as well. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. And and it's got uh, the, the woman from uh, Game of Thrones in it. So it's got a pretty good cast. Yeah. And she's, uh, yeah, basically she's just kind of a, a young woman who can't get her life together. And, but then kind of does with this fella. And, uh, but then, yeah, then, then a bi- there's a big reveal at the end. Right. And it's very heartfelt. She was a ghost. Kind of like. Uh, it was very heartfelt, if you <laughs> was, know what I mean. Was it like the Grinch where her heart grew several sizes bigger? Um, eventually it did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not at first. For a time, it wasn't beating at all, for example. And then, and then they did some stuff and then it was beating again. Maybe not in the same spot it was before, but yeah. You're being incredibly cryptic here, and I'm trying to figure out you'll what you're saying. You'll never get me, Frank. You'll never crack the one. I'm thinking we can make some serious money by writing a She's Like the Wind movie, but in the movie, the big reveal is the girl is actually the wind. You just ruined the bill. Oh. You can't say that when... All right, we're going to have to cut that from the... Yeah, uh, okay. Or right, let's pick another song. Okay.
I just want to read from the Washington Post. This guy was、uh, waxing lyrical, if that works, about this song.、Mm-hmm. He said, Last Christmas isn't just about the lies we tell ourselves in order to cope with rejection. It's also about the cognitive dissonance of obsessive love. At the end of the first verse, Michael pithily sets out this kind of doublethink. Now he knows what a fool I've been, but if you kiss me now, I know you'd fool me again. It's just one heartrending epigram in a song full of them, capturing the way defiance masks hope and how easily love and desire can delude us into forgiveness. I gotta be honest, as I'm reading it, I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> you, how、uh, are we deluded into forgiveness? Yeah, you, yeah, you, you lost me at cognitive dissonance. I don't think he's、yeah. forgiving in this song. No, no I, don't I don't think, think he's、so、ready at all. at all. No. Yeah, Michael Brodeur, I don't know what you're talking about. And I don't know what pithily means. I don't like when people use it because I don't know that song. I don't know what double think makes me think too many times to try to figure out what that means. Yeah. And I don't know what that What's an epigram? I don't know. Do you put that on a tombstone? Epigram comes after, right? Yeah. Sure. You guys are the English guys. <laughs> That's true. All right. I think we nailed those lyrics. I think so too. I mean, just, just read them through. It's, a, it's basically a diary entry of.、Uh, Of saying you're over someone that you're not over. Now, I think this song is made so much better when you watch the 4K、oh, restored the version of the music video. Yeah. I, the, video, the video is pretty 80s fantastic, but they really miss out on one big thing here is uh, uh, they're going to a, a ski resort and they're at a ski lodge and everything. But they don't do any skiing in the entire video. There's not one person skiing. And if you're a fan of the 80s, you know that the, there's a subgenre of movies like 80s ski movies. When do they go skiing? I mean, I want to see some skiing, but it doesn't happen. So that's my, that's my only real critique of the video. The,、uh, the, so around the video, they had to, f- it was November and they had to find snow. Yeah. They called it Premier Neige. That's what they were looking for. <laughs> oh my goodness. Are、so、you serious?、Idiot. Yeah. They called it Premier Neige. <laughs>、oh, I just this, feel dirty hearing、yeah. that. So the place was in Sweden. I wish I, I forgot to write down the name of it. It's like. You can tell it's Sweden. You can,、yeah. It's just everything about this is、yeah. it's one giant fondue.、Yeah. Is, this, is this Sweden or Switzerland? I better check this. Oh, yeah. Switzerland. Is it Switzerland? I, I think, yeah.、Okay. Yeah. Switzerland. So it's, it's filmed in Switzerland. They found a place where. It's going to snow and they, they、mm-hmm. get there and they record the video. But there, when you watch the video, there's some confusing parts about the plot. So I would say the entire video、yeah. is a little bit. Here's、confusing. one of the main reasons is George Michael kept making them do cuts because he's got this whole issue about how he wants to be filmed. So I watched a 60 minute interview from Australia with him、mm-hmm. where he refused to let them film the right side of his face. He would only be tilted to the left. Really? And he told the guy, I, I, this is all about image. So he said he kept going back and making them cut out parts so that it went the way exactly how he wanted. So there's a scene where there's a snowball fight.、Mm-hmm. And so they had all these scenes of him laughing and playing. But he said, no, no, I want one where I'm brooding. So could you just go backwards to find me looking like I'm brooding? And so there's a scene where they're all having a snowball fight and he's just standing there. Brooding, we're like, yeah, where, where'd that come from? Why are you looking like that? Because you're smiling everywhere else, and now you're brooding. But who are you looking at?、Mm-hmm. And so he disrupts the narrative through his own、um, vanity. Vanity, yes. There's sort of a, a story being told of, of a, a bunch of friends 
spending Christmas at a uh, at a, a ski lodge, and I find I found the video is probably very similar. Uh, if we all went to a ski lodge, like with our significant others and uh, whoever I can find on Craigslist, and uh, at, like you know decorating the tree and snowball fights and all that other sort of stuff but then there's the these jump cuts back to the previous year right when when George Michael was with the woman that uh, Andrew Ridgely is is with now and it just sort of it makes it a little bit confusing because it's not a hundred percent clear exactly what's happening and it wasn't until I read Wikipedia that I understood well and there's there, to me it's even more confusing because at the dinner scene, she starts to look back at him, and then now you can't tell who's longing for who. Yeah. Right. There's, there's the moment where she starts to look, and then there you get that where it kind of blurs out, and it's half him and half yeah. her at the same time. Yeah. And so at that point, I, it's a cautionary tale that you may give a woman a brooch, and then next year that woman will be with another guy wearing the exact same brooch. Now, is Andrew Ridgely wearing the brooch or is she wearing the they, brooch? They imply that it's him because... I think he's wearing the brooch. Yeah, because he's wearing black, but he wears the brooch upside down. But and she, she was wears wearing, red. And she was wearing black the year before. Was she? Okay. When, when they're outside having... the When he has the memory of them having the snowball fight, when mm -hmm. they're chasing and then he falls, she's wearing black then. So And that's when he... Remember, he gives her the, yeah. the brooch... So was she wearing it upside down? No, no, she she wore it uh, right side up. They show that in, and in red. No, but in the black wasn't it black when it was upside? It down? It was black when it was upside down, but it was implied that it was Andrew Ridgely who was wearing it. Well, At least that, again, what uh, Wikipedia is telling me. Well, so here's what's going to happen. I mean, I didn't know this until this conversation, but what that implies is the next year. Andrew Ridgely is the one who breaks her heart. She's sitting where George Michael is, and he's with someone else who's now wearing that brooch. And mm -hmm. then the next year. She's going, it's, it's just going to keep happening, right? And originally is going to take that spot and it'll be the next person. And so you could have years, uh, like of this last Christmas, almost like a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. The Russian doll of the brooch <laughs> giving. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right. A little bit of trivia for you. This is great. The woman who is the love interest, her name is Kathy Hill. So she's a model. She's in there. But she dated a famous musician from the 80s. And George Michael kept asking her tons of questions about this musician. So I would say this musician was to what Yanni was to music in the 90s. This guy was to the 80s. How's that? There's my, there's my trivia question for you. I'm trying to think of a... Uh... Someone who also played at the Acropolis with a, with a giant mustache he, in the eighties. I, I don't know if he had a giant mu mustache, but this uh, he for sure would have played at the Acropolis. Now he's got he's got a John a, Tash, close, but he'd be more he's in but he'd be more what what John Tash was in the two thousands. Yanni was oh, okay. the nineties. <laughs> this guy the wrote a famous score for a movie using lots of synth. Is it uh, the guy that uh, from uh, Vangelis? It is. It's wow. Vangelis or Vangelis. Vangelis? Vangelis. I can pronounce it either way, yeah. I think. So there you go. It was She was dating Vangelis. I always thought that was a group. Hmm. No, it's a guy. Gotcha. Better be a guy. The music video is awesome. Because oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's great. Yeah. It is a perfect... Um, I just wonder why they didn't go skiing. <laughs> yes. It's like a uh, 
time capsule of the 80s yeah. the styles like i think if we try to do 80s stuff like hot tub time machine i think did this where it was just over the top 80s yeah but this is true 80s and so everything you're seeing there is like premium 1980s yeah and just to add to the hallmark factor of this song it ends with a happy ending there's no yeah. fight yeah right? yeah there's no way that this happens in real life where it only in friends and the last Christmas video, can you swap partners like this and still get along so harmoniously? Yeah. yeah. Right? And so they go to this weekend. The whole time he's looking across, he's able to transcend it and they leave happily. And then at the end of the video, it's like, happy holidays and thank you. Yeah. It's such a kind, humble ending to yeah. a pop song. I mean, in the real version of, of the video, I mean... George Michael would have been drinking, uh, would have been drinking heavily, and created some sort of a scene. At least that's what I would have done if I was his, in his position. I, I think I have done that in his position. <laughs> <laughs> this is why you're angry about this song. Well, I know. I just like oh, if he just went skiing, he wouldn't have to see all this. <laughs> I want to see the edits to this music video. Release the Ridgely cut. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What is on that cutting room floor? Yeah. All right, on to categories, covers. Now, I got something written down here. I got to say it. Who can cover this? Well, everyone seems to be covering this. Yep. Who should cover this? I know this is going to be controversial. No one. I think no one should be covering this. And I know, Frank, we're going to go in. I know I can see it in your eyes. I can see daggers. But I, I listened to about 18 covers in preparation while I was trying to cook dinner today. This dinner got cold, but it was just, I had to keep, I just, they got about a minute and a half in, next one, next one, because it just couldn't do what this song does. Even the Crazy Frog version. Most definitely the Crazy <laughs> Frog version. Well, I know, I know you're not a big fan of the, the covers of this, uh, of this song. Dave, do you have any, uh, any thoughts on the covers? No, I got to go with Bill on this one because the, uh, my, my family at Christmas time, we, we go to a lot of, um, I don't know what you call the genre, like the oldies or whatever. So a lot of Frank Sinatra, Nat King Cole and things like that. And to us, part of the, the nostalgia of that time is, is knowing that it came from a time and place and, I think we're far enough away from the eighties to look back on it with that kind of same kind of nostalgia where we can place it in that time because of the synth and just because of the, the kind of echoey popness of it all and that sort of thing. So anything to modernize it to me would just take it away. And so I, I like it the way it is. Yeah. Okay. I can, I can appreciate that, but I, I think anyone who's a, who's a, a fan of this podcast is, is going to know where, where I am going with this with my take on this, and I think there's a fantastic cover which was done by Carly Rae Jepsen. This type of song, it's a it's a it's a kind of brokenhearted yet warm and sweet uh, song that 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 uh, CRJ really sort of excels at, right? And she does modernize it, but she I find she uh, stays true to its roots. Uh, there's there's that great opening sax line. There's a there's this the eighties sort of synth pop that she goes that comes along with it. I think the and uh, just that sort of uh, melancholy sweet uh, voice that she has for this song. I think she does a great version of it. I I know I'm in the minority here, but that's my take, and uh, I don't think it's surprising for anyone who's listened to the podcast.
I must say, I the Carly Rae, at least she's doing something interesting with it. She's staying true to it, but it is interesting. Yeah. And another one I kind of liked was the Taylor Swift, the Country Swift version. So oh, okay. Pre, yeah. I think it was around Red or I think it was before Red. Yeah, it was. It was like, it was very country Taylor Swift and it it worked okay. Yeah. But there's the synths on that song are so great. And George Michael's voice is so great. Just just the, his phrasing, that that echoey sound he's making is like, it's just perfect. Sorry, Carly Rae Jepsen. Yeah. Thanks, Bill. Now she's never going to come on this podcast. <laughs> All right, I got something daring to say. I believe this song could fit in the song universe of Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. I'll put that in the same universe. Totally. Two sides of the same coin. One's a happy side. Uh, heads? Is that the happier one? Mariah Carey's a happy version. Yeah. But the other side is a, a, a year later. Okay, that's not working with coins. What about the Beatles simply, or is it, or is it Paul McCartney? I, I don't no. know. Yes. Simply having a wonderful Christmas. Yes. That to me is a, a in the same song. iconic level of it's British. Yeah. It doesn't have the synth, but it's kind of in that where it's like modern in the sense that it's not like a, a Andy Williams or something like that. It's of that kind of later generation. It's also a terrible song. Well, I'm glad you bring it up. Dave, because this will be our next episode, and Frank has already stated what oh. he doesn't want. That he doesn't want, but I agree, and that's a despite what Frank says. I think it's a great song. Yeah, yeah. Again, I'm in the minority here. Yeah, it's a uphill battle that I'm fighting. Yeah, part of it is the I, I may have my own unique way of categorizing Christmas music, but to me, there's kind of the biblical stuff, like "Away in a Manger" and "God Rest You Merry Gentlemen," and that's a category. And then there's like the 50s era that I've already talked about. And then there's the kind of the what I call modern, which goes from like 1975 on, where it's not connected to, it's not Old Holy Night or it's not Jingle Bells or anything like that. It's just kind of pop music for pop music's sake that happens to be Christmas related. And so that's why, to me, that fits in that category. Yeah. Is this like the, would you say this is the best Christmas song in the last... 40 years i can't think of a better yeah. well there, there, there are going to be a lot of people who are gonna um uh, come at you with mariah i would turn mariah off the radio but i wouldn't turn this one off no really yeah, yeah. i'm the same and i like the mariah thing but yeah. this one the, the here's what i like about this the mariah one is definitely trying to call back to motown to phil specter is phil specter in motown yeah okay but this one is not calling back to something. It's 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 creating its, its own thing. It's creating its own thing, and mm-hmm. so it has. It's very eighties, but it's very wham. Yeah, it's and very it's, of its moment. Yeah, and so it exists in, as something. Whereas the Mariah Carey, it it's it, it got so popular because it reminded us of a time. Whereas this one creates its own thing. Mm-hmm. That's brilliant. <laughs> you just made that up as you went along. Yeah, I did. I feel pretty good. Isn't it liberating not knowing what the next word out of your mouth is going to be? (laughs) Just living in that moment? Oh, yeah.
Well, there's something out there called Whamageddon. It's a cultural phenomenon. Oh, I do yeah. know this. Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay. I read about this. So what, what, what is it? It's where they play a game where it's it's kind of like the Seinfeld contest that right. it has where you, yeah. have to, you have to be on the honor system. Yeah. And then when you hear it, you've got a text either your friends or you put it in your Twitter or whatever. And you, and basically you say, is it Whamageddon? Yeah. Yeah. Whamageddon, hashtag Whamageddon. And it means that you've heard the song and you're out that year. Yeah. And it, and then whoever is the last person to hear that song. And then the rule is you can't, um, the, the Wham, Whampocalypse, I think yeah. it's called, where yeah. if you send it to somebody, that doesn't count. You can't, you can't set somebody up and send them a text and say, follow this link. And then they do it and they yeah. hear it. That's a, that's a Whampocalypse. Right. Yeah. And if, and if you do hear it, you end up in a Whamhalla. Oh, that's it. Whamhalla. <laughs> 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 I just love, it's so perfect. Wham again and Whampocalypse and uh, Whamhalla. We could, this could go on and on. Because I equate this to the early '80s, I just in my mind this would be Whamhalla would be like Spider or Superman Two, where they're in those glass things, yeah, <laughs> kind of stuck in the glass, <laughs> rotating through space. But it's just Wham. Yeah. So, uh, would you say in Wham's three big songs for me, "Wake Me Up Before You Go Go," "Careless Whisper," and this? Yeah. And I'm hard-pressed to pick a favorite. Like, Careless Whisper is very special to me. Yeah. But Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go is incredible. And then this is crazy. So, think of a band to to pretty short shelf life. They're not like U2 or something super important in, in the way that other bands are. Mm-hmm. Or even The Police. But they're just like pure pop, couple albums, three massive, massive songs. Massive songs, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, Basically, all out of 1984. Yeah, yeah. one year. It's amazing. That's that's incredible. So, put them up in the uh, guilt-free Hall of Fame yeah. for that. Yeah, it's archetypal stuff in terms of pop music for me. Yeah, it's yeah. The, those three songs. And I like Careless Whisper the most, in, just in terms of the music. I think I like Wake Me Up Before You Go Go the least, just because it's it's almost gotten novelty status. Yeah, yeah. But it, as a as a kind of a hallmark of pop music, it still stands the test of time. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, 1984. Yeah, big year for Wham. Yeah, not so much a big year for an eight year old Dave Kitchen, but <laughs> but they were having a hell of a time yeah. too. <laughs> well. Uh, I don't know. We're going to bring this thing to a to a close here. We want to thank our listeners again for for putting up with us, and thank Dave Kitchen for joining us once again. And I think uh, we give you a most improved player this go round. I think you did a I think you did an adequate job. So thank uh, you, thank thanks. you. I did some pre research this time. I think it paid off. Yeah, and uh, we just hope that you enjoy this podcast and this Christmas more than last Christmas. No. No, yeah. No, that's a good ending. <laughs> no, just holding like, the pause. That was great. That was good. That was good. That was good.